Well, as funny as it is, I was, I was really concerned about that little clip, that little scene that would play out for me when I started working remotely um, a couple months ago. And of course it did happen. And I can assure you there were no stiff arms. No one was drug out of uh, the door. Kids, I hope you have done that to your parents uh, once or twice in the last couple months. And hopefully it went a little bit better than that. And it, and it makes me laugh because it fits, right? It fits our these stay-at-home times really well. Um, we kind of can all, those of us who have worked in, from home, we can relate to it. Uh, but it's actually also a really good entry point for our text today from Luke chapter 11, this parable about the friend at midnight. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. At their request, they ask him to teach them to pray. And he begins with the familiar lines of the Lord's Prayer, which we have just, we, we looked at last week, and we've already prayed together today. But then he tells this, this strange story where he likens prayer to barging in on God, just like in this scene. What we saw in this video is what prayer should actually look like. A child freely, boldly running to their dad in the middle of a video call. That's what prayer is like. So we're going to sit down with the disciples in Luke 11, continue to learn from Jesus about prayer, because if anything has become clear to me in the last couple of weeks, it's that we need to become a praying people. We need to be a praying people, not just in the last couple of weeks. In the last several months, 2020 has made it very clear, if you think you can do this on your own without dependence upon God and prayer, think again, right? Prayer is how we stay awake to what God is doing in us and around us and through us. I know I, I need that desperately right now. It's how we experience peace, like deep peace when we're anxious and heavy. And it's the starting point, always a starting point for real godly change. And we always need to be becoming more Christ-like as individuals and as a faith community. So we need to learn how to pray. But before we do that, we also need to stop and spend some time in prayer because we, we need help in this, in the speaking and the hearing of his word that is never going to cease to be true. So before we go any further, let's pause and ask God for his help in these next few moments. Father, we, we want to know you more deeply. We want to follow Jesus more faithfully in all of life. Thank you for your word, which is alive and active, as Hebrews 4 says, it's able to penetrate our hearts make us new, and so we offer thanks for your word, but we also, we also submit under it with humble hearts, knowing that it's, it's sharp and can cut us where we would much rather stay intact. It can expose in us sin. We would much rather stay under wraps. It can reveal to us that which only you have previously seen, and so God, we pray, have, have mercy We need this work of grace, and we ask for it in the name 
of Jesus, our great high priest who has faced all that we are facing with perfect obedience. And even where we have failed, he was victorious. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, exalt him now in both the preaching and the hearing of your word. And where I speak my own words today, Father, have mercy. May they fall away like seed on a trampled path. But where I speak your word after you, would you plant it deeply in our hearts, produce the fruit of your spirit for the building up of our church, for our witness in this world, for the glory of your name now and forever, we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 5. If you need to go grab a Bible, you can push pause. I will gladly wait as a joke. Uh, Let's begin reading in verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. He says, He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. We'll stop right there. So Jesus begins the parable by asking his disciples to use their imagination. He says, You have friends, right? Imagine that a friend, one of them comes to you late at night, drops in on you unannounced. It's late. You have no bedding ready for them. You have no food to provide to them. You have nothing to give them. And all the disciples, they get it. They're nodding their heads. Yes, we can imagine that. And they're shaking their heads at the same time because they can imagine the problem here. Not just that a friend has, has arrived late at night, And there's a hustle and bustle to provide for them. But because culturally, in that day, it would have been a huge party foul to not have something to give them to eat. Hospitality in that time was such a high value. And there's no grocery stores. There's no late, you know, you can't run to Quick Trip. There are no drive-thrus, right? The food you had was maybe if you had leftovers from the food you made for the day. And that's all you typically did was make enough food for the day. So if you didn't have leftovers and a friend dropped in late at night, you had a problem. And it's not just a problem for the individual. Hospitality was, it was a matter for the whole neighborhood. This was a communal responsibility to offer generous welcome to a guest. Now this is, it's foreign to us. But it's really crucial to the story. He has, no, he has no food to offer, but if his friend across the street, maybe if he has leftovers that he could share, maybe he can still show his out-of-town guest proper hospitality. So the unsuspecting host, he has a choice to make here. He can be either a noisy neighbor, right? It's midnight. Or he can be a terrible host. And we're told that he takes his chances on being a noisy neighbor. He walks down the street to his neighbor's door and he knocks on it at midnight. Now, some of the particulars of this scene, uh, because we're we're very far removed, both in time and culture, we're removed from this. Some of the, the particulars 
are foreign to us, but midnight in the first century is pretty much the same as midnight in the 21st century. You did not want someone knocking on your door at midnight, especially because we're talking about probably like a one a one room home. Everyone is sleeping together in the same room. Mom, dad, children, they're all asleep. They're not, the kids are not upstairs. You know, there's no sound machine on. You're not just finishing up sort of a Netflix episode. Okay, everyone is there sleeping together. And that's, that's the scene when this man hears a knock on his door and he answers from his bed. He calls out, what do you want? What do you want? Don't you, don't you know what time it is? You know, and the friend says, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, had, a, I had a friend drop by. Can I serve him any of your, your leftover bread? Do you have any leftover bread from today? Like, I'll pay you back. I just need it. I need it right now. That's the picture here. And the friend, the friend is, not, is not at all remotely interested. Look at verse 7. He will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. Or more like, don't bother me. <laughs> the, door's, the door's locked, which would have been a really noisy thing to unlock. The door is locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Now, maybe you're sort of nodding furiously. Uh, maybe you've had young children in the home that you've put down for bed, right? You get it. You're like, do not wake the kids. That is the highest value in the neighborhood, but the disciples would have heard this a different way. They they heard they would have heard these these reasons that the neighbor, the sleeper gives as petty excuses. Right? These are not good reasons to turn away a friend in need, a friend who needs help showing hospitality. So again, Jesus asks. He says, "Which of you is a friend who wouldn't help you host a guest even in the middle of the night?" And no one raises their hand. They all cannot imagine a friend like this. Their friend might be ticked, but he would help. And Jesus says it like this, verse 8. He says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give you anything because he is his friend, so even though he won't get up on the basis of friendship, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, he might not help with a friendly smile, says Jesus, but he will help. He will get up and help because of his shameless boldness. Now, that's a tricky word uh, that Jesus uses here, that Luke uses in his account. It's kind of tough to translate. It's used only here in the New Testament. Um, If you're looking at the ESV, the word there is impudence, uh, which in full disclosure, I, I mean, I had to look that word up. You know, maybe you know that word already. That's great. It's not a word we use very often. Some translations say persistence, which I don't think is quite right. We only know here from the story that the friend knocks one time. He do, he's not continually asking his friend. It's not translated as persistence anywhere else in, uh, in Greek literature. In my study, I think the NIV and what I just read to you, the CSB, I think it gets it right shameless audacity or shameless boldness. The neighbor with a need, he has no shame about knocking on his friend's door at midnight, even though he knows it's a bold move. But he, he knows it's his only chance to find help in a critical time 
of need and he needs help. So he asks shamelessly, boldly. And Jesus says, the sleepy friend, he grants the request simply because his neighbor has the boldness to ask. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that God the Father is like an irritated friend who helps just so you leave him alone and he can go back to bed. Right? I think we often want to, in parables, make every character have a one-for-one comparison point. That is not the comparison here. We have to keep going with Jesus in his teaching to get the full picture. So let's pick up at verses 11 and 12. Jesus goes on in his teaching. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? It's sort of this weird shift, uh, but Jesus moves from this picture of friends or neighbors to a relationship between a father and a son. And speaking of fathers, let's let just be a reminder uh, that Father's Day is next week, um, next Sunday. Just remember that. I kid. But Jesus talks about a father and a son. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but here's what he says. He says, which of you dads, if asked by your son for something good, it's the idea, for something good, for something useful, for something you'd really, he really wanted, which of you would give your son something terrible? And they all respond, absolutely not. None of us would respond that way. And Jesus says, you're right. As human fathers, flawed and evil as you are, ouch, even as flawed human fathers, you will listen to your kids when they ask you for good things. And so when you put it all together, if an irritated neighbor will give his friend some bread, and an evil human dad will give his son good gifts, imagine how God, our Heavenly Father, will respond to us when we ask for something. That is Jesus' point about prayer here, that God's kindness, his response to his children, is is not like human obligation, right? Like the story of the irritated neighbor who just says, I, I, I must, because he's, he's asking so boldly. It's also, it's, it's greater than human compassion, like, like this picture of imperfect dads who still give their sons good things. The, the argument is how much more will our gracious heavenly father give you what you need when you ask? This, friends, this is good news. But Jesus goes on. He punctuates his point at the, at the end of the lesson, verse 13. And in my dialogue with Laura Muckerman about this text, she referred to this as a plot twist at the end, which I think is just perfect. Verse 13. Here's how he ends his teaching on how to pray. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I have, I have to admit, I've interacted with this text before, and I forgot that that was the punchline, right? That he won't just give us good gifts, that he will actually give us his very own presence in the person of the Holy Spirit if we ask. That's the point, that's the landing spot of this lesson about prayer. And listen, friends, that resonates for me, at least, right now. That resonates deeply 
because we, we need the presence and power of God's Spirit right now. More than anything, that's what we need to be asking for with boldness, with audacity, coming into God's presence as children who have no shame, asking that God would be present and powerful in our midst. And so I want to consider two questions, as we often do, just some some questions to ponder and consider about prayer and about our current moment. I want to bring uh, I want to bring that in, help, help this stick right now. First question, do you approach God with this kind of boldness? Like a child busting in on a Zoom call, right? No pretense, no shame, only expecting good things from, a, from their father. Is this a posture of prayer that you inhabit in your own prayer life, that God can be approached? Now, kids, you do this better than any of us. You just, you just get this. You know how to ask for audacious things. I know it as a parent. You even know it as kids, right? You know how to expect things, I think from God even, that we would never dream, we would never dream of. Thank you for modeling this for us. I mean, Jesus even says, this is, you get it here. You understand what God's kingdom is like. Keep praying those bold prayers, kids. Jesus tells us here, he tells us what to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are some bold prayers. And he tells us how. He says, barge in on God with those words. As you pray that he would provide your daily bread, as you pray that he would forgive us as, as you forgive others, as you pray that he would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Barge in on God with those prayers. That's precisely the point of Jesus' teaching. Look at verses 9 and 10. Right in the middle of this lesson, Jesus says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, of course, this is not a, this is not a blank check to give you whatever you want. Or Jesus is not inviting us to ask for the things that we want. He's inviting us to approach the Almighty God as a generous Father who is eager to give us Good things, but most of all, eager to give us his very presence, his guidance, his closeness, his intimacy. And that's where I want to go with our second question. What I want us to ponder is this. Are you asking God for more of God? For more of himself? See, those of us who walk with God should be bold in our requests for the presence and power of of God. Why? Why do we need to ask for the power and presence of God, for the, for the grace of his spirit, this good gift of the Holy Spirit? It feels like the answer to that question is pretty obvious. Certainly not because we deserve his presence. 
Jesus actually says at the end here, it's like it's a quick description in passing, but it's instructive for us nonetheless. And it's right where I am. He says, though you are evil, that word evil, we, it's a word we don't really like to square with. And just sit with it for a moment. Even as, just like I am, you're tempted to be offended by Jesus. I know he's right. It's my experience. It's the witness of scripture. Jeremiah is clear. The prophet is clear. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. They're desperately sick. I know I have been confronted by God recently with the the depth and the deceitfulness of my sin, the sin in my heart. That is, of, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a large part of the Spirit's ministry, why he was sent to us to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, to lead us into all truth, not just that which is already clear to us. John 16 is clear about the ministry of the Spirit is to expose our sin, to declare the truth, to glorify Jesus himself. And I know he's doing that for me right now. There are real seeds of evil in there, in my heart. This evil sin of pride, which puts me at the center, makes life about me instead of God and neighbor and, and loving God and neighbor. It centers, I'm centering myself in pride. There's this subtle but dangerous abundance of worry and anxiety that is sinful. It's a burden that, I've, that I carry on my own. I don't lay it at Jesus' feet. There's no peace for those who worry like that. And it's, and it's sinful. There are, of course, the evil seeds of racial prejudice that, for me, have been in some ways unknown and implicit, but, but real and exposed in the last couple of weeks. This evil of, of coward, cowardly inaction to speak. When I do see injustice, when I hear about it, when I perpetuate it in my own life, the lack of confession and real action in my own relationships with people where there's prejudice. And there's evil seeds of, in my speech to others. How I've not been quick to listen and slow to speak, but instead I've, I've responded to people with what James calls the deadly poison of an untamed tongue. I mean, the list could go on and on. And, and God, help, help me to endure in my own self-reflection, conviction, confession of sin, repentance from it. There is evil in my heart and in yours. And of course, there are evil effects, the evil effects of sin and death in our world that is so fractured. That evil, it grieves our loving Father. It should break our hearts too. We're in the middle still of a global pandemic that is not the way it's meant to be. 
Creation groans in anticipation of being set free from disease, decay, and death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. There's the unjust subjugation and suffering and killing of black Americans, past and present. It should break us, friends. This cannot go on. The violence that has erupted and has hurt business owners and faithful public servants, we mourn, we ought to mourn with those who are suffering as they work to provide for and protect their communities. There's this divisive rhetoric of our our partisan political leaders. God, help us. Our inability to listen, understand, and disagree with, with charity is eroding our humanity It's fracturing our communities, and it's sinful. This world is desperately sick and in need of a physician, a healer. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked, and we need to be convicted of sin. And we're in constant peril of being conformed to this age, as Paul says, and we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can please God, we need to be asking, therefore, boldly for more of God in the midst of our evil, broken world. That's where Jesus leads us in his teaching about prayer, is to ask boldly, shamelessly, go to him and ask for him to be present and powerful in the midst of it all. And yet, even as Jesus calls us evil... (laughs) And the scriptures bear witness to that truth, cover to cover. It also tells, the Bible also tells the story of of good news, that he came to, to us to deal with it, all of it, to deal with all of that. That is what he intends to do. While we were his enemies and while all of creation groans under the weight of sin and death, Jesus enters in to rescue, to redeem to make it all new again. And he left us his spirit, whose whose power and presence and ministry we should be claiming boldly today, friends. Spirit, convict us of sin. Lead us into all truth and glorify, glorify, Holy Spirit, Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was killed by the religious and political powers of his day for speaking truth without fault. His death was the deepest and most horrific injustice in all of history. And in God's providence, it is also our glory. The cross of Jesus Christ where mercy and justice collide in God's love and grace We need the Spirit of God to exalt the crucified and risen King, the one whose kingdom has broken in. It's not here fully, but it is coming, friends. That is our hope. And we pray today, boldly, come, Lord Jesus. Do your work among us, Holy Spirit, while we wait. And hear, O God, our Father, hear our cries to you. What more can we do, friends? 
right now, in the midst of all of our brokenness and suffering? What more can we do but ask for these things with boldness? Let's do that now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can approach you as such. We can enter your presence, presence with boldness. As those whose, whose sin, whose evil hearts have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, the most unjust thing that's ever happened in history, and by your powerful providence, by your wisdom, you, ma- you make it our glory. It is, the, it is the only thing we can hope in is an innocent Savior crucified on a criminal's cross. That is our hope. May be true for us today, and may we come to you in prayer with boldness, asking for these things. Thank you for the hope that we have in your coming kingdom. We pray again the words that Jesus gave us to pray May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.